feeling stuck sucks. It's disempowering. We feel isolated. And we may make decisions that don't serve us or our loved ones. Your coaches, Lada and Ryan, are here to help. Together, yes, that includes you. Let's get unstuck. This is the Fitwall Fusion Podcast. Hi and welcome to another episode of Fitwall Fusion with Ryan and Lotta. Today we're talking about your thoughts on. So we're going to discuss certain topics that we see come up more often with our clients, things we had to look through or just things we think it's important that you might hear some other thoughts on that you had before. So should we just jump right into it, Ryan? Absolutely. All right. So the first one is... A cheat day per week. Ooh, sounds pretty um, tempting, right? We're talking about cheating on f- your diet, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> I should have said that. So this, since this is a nutrition topic, we're not talking about cheating your partner. There's going to be a whole other episode on that. Um, so no, talking about nutrition. Okay, so a cheating. cheat day a week. Um, well, when we look at what... We try to tell clients, uh, we generally say 80-20, an 80-20 rule in terms of eating well, focus, being focused, having nutrition goals, and 20% of the time allowing yourself the freedom to go outside of those boundaries. So a cheat day somewhat correlates perfectly to that, um, but... I would offer a warning for a cheat day because if your cheat day is intense, like the equivalent of drinking and doing a bender instead of just having a few drinks, the cheat day might trigger you into heavy carbohydrate addiction. It might affect your digestion for a week or more. It might cause skin issues, rashes, pimples, dandruff, all kinds of things that'll come out of you from whatever you uh you had that day that wasn't great for you and so um i'd say more of a conservative cheat day would be better than an all-out binge eating an entire pizza just going buying stuff from the convenience store rather than really thinking of something you really love it might not be super healthy but you love it and you know you want to have it at some point in your life Go for that. Maybe even go for something a little more expensive and high quality. Um, If it's a sweet or something, maybe something like a really good dark chocolate rather than just a bunch of crap that equals the same price that won't make you feel great. I totally agree. It's, I think, having the concept of a full day and calling it a cheat day just really calls for a day where you're going nuts and you might because it's your only day because you put that label on it you might actually over consume more than than you would have had before because you're like well this is the only day where i can do it so you might think oh well because usually i eat so well now i'm gonna go out of my way and eat a bit more extra because you might really consider this cheat day your reward for all the good work you put in 
And the problem with that is that this reward is actually not destroying everything you've done, but really setting you back. One full day of going completely nuts on things and eating whatever you want and in big quantities is going to be really hard to then go back to your normal, to any everything before. Yeah, be so, because it also triggers changes in your hormones and hormones affect your hunger and your cravings and your feeling of being satiated. So if your hormones are completely out of whack and going up and down and then you are sort of binge eating to try to level them out and, and you know, fix a crash, maybe having more coffee and more sugar, then it's just like I always say, you're back on the roller coaster. All of a sudden you're back up and down and then your cheat day became an entire week and, and it's a really hard time. You have a really hard time stabilizing things again so you can get back on track. So it sounds more like a good idea to keep it more moderate. Be like, oh wow, I would really love to have, I don't know, whether it be a drink or whether it be a food or whether it be pause and exercise, whatever it really is. But then keep it to one or two things. Don't go overboard because you really don't want to set yourself back too much. So that's why I still prefer the idea of 80-20. Just let's say because you wanted to have a nice breakfast on one of the days and it was a bit more than you would usually have and maybe it was more sweet or had gluten or whatever in it, what you usually don't consume. But then the rest of the day you're fine and then maybe the next day or couple days later you have a dessert after your your dinner so you space it out a little bit more but have you ever had that experience where you started a day and you started it quotes unquote wrong you ate the wrong thing in the morning and your whole day you just looked for food you were so focused on it and you just couldn't stop snacking and that is really why I rather would warn against a complete cheat day because I had that starting the day wrong Maybe you had a cookie or you're like, oh, I really wanted that. And then a couple hours later, you're just seeing yourself eating and eating the wrong thing. And then in the evening, wanting some more. And then you're down to snacks, all these things. So next topic, what do you think about calorie counting? Well, calories are kind of complicated because fat has more calories per gram than carbohydrates and proteins. Um, your body can use proteins in certain scenarios uh, as energy. These, the macro, we're, I'm talking about macronutrients here. So depending on how you're making use of your macronutrients, the calories do matter or don't matter. Um, but a lot of people like to say calories in, calories out, kind of the ultimate, the ultimate tracker of if you want to lose weight for some or for something or you want to gain muscle is to focus on calories but crap quality crap quality calories <laughs> uh, I'd say trump the number of calories and um, I'll quote Paul check again he says um, a lot of people are made out of piss poor protoplasm basically just very low quality calories and damaged proteins just food that is is no longer um, natural and your body trying to build you out of it so calorie counting is okay as long as you're making sure that the 
calories are coming from a good source. So let's say the calories are coming from a great source. It's all excellent food. Then, yes, you could track your calories, but you'd probably want to break it down into the macronutrients. And where are they coming from? Um, carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, and what your body might need a certain amount of. Some, some people need more carbohydrates. Uh, some people need more fat to feel better. Some people need a lot of protein. Or are you exercising very heavily and you're trying to really build muscle mass? Well, if you don't consume enough calories of protein and you don't get all the essential amino acids, you're not going to be able to build that muscle and maintain it. Your body will literally break down. It might even start consuming your muscles if it doesn't get the right types of calories. So it's a very complicated question, but yes, calorie counting can be very useful. It can at least give you an idea of your, because there's online, you can check the average calorie intake for a male or female, whatever your age, things like that. And you could just quickly check and say, oh, wow, I'm doubling, I'm doubling that. No wonder I'm gaining weight. Or, oh, I'm not even getting enough calories. And then I started a workout program, and that would be probably why your muscles aren't growing. So, yeah, I think there's value to it, but I think people use it as a shortcut to avoid focusing on nutrition. That's true, they do. And then there's also people that say, I don't even want to put that effort in. They just have this thought of calorie counting as restriction. Whereas I agree with you, it's, it's way more complicated than that. And But on the other hand, it's a good idea. So I personally believe it's important to know what food correlates to which amount of calories in a sort, because that way you, you understand how much are you how much nutrients, how much energy are you getting into your body with eating that? For example, realizing that nuts are great, but nuts have a really high amount of calories, you then know, okay, well, if I don't want to gain a bunch of weight or I'm not on a super heavy exercise program to really bulk up, I need to be careful with consuming nuts because in it was very, very few amount, just a little handfuls, usually two to 300 calories, depending on the nut you eat. Um, also realizing a bag of chips has a huge amount of calories um, compared to some vegetables that have very, very few calories. So if you are, if you just not feel satisfied after you eat and you want to snack something, but you know you're pretty close to, you know, the amount of food you're already eating, go for a low calorie snack, then you're going to feel some more, your stomach being a bit fuller, but you're not going to go way overboard. So next one, right, is exercising to burn off what you ate. So that sounds like it's getting closer to the calorie in, calorie, in, calorie out idea. Oh boy. Oh, this one. Yeah, so I'm not a fan of treadmills. And I think that you're basically defining the treadmill athlete. <laughs> I don't know what you want to call them, but the person who goes onto the treadmill because the treadmill tells them digitally... Look at this, you've burned 200 calories. Well, as always, it's more complicated than that. Um, so if you burn hundreds of calories on a treadmill, it's very likely you're going to be starving to death at the end of that. And you're going to put back at least that amount of calories into your body. Now, that aerobic exercise is great for your cardiovascular system. It's not a bad thing. 
But what you haven't really done, and if you notice sort of long distance marathon runners, is you're not progressively overloading your system and building muscle mass. Muscle mass, if you build muscle mass, let's say you go lift heavy weights, that muscle mass that you've built is going to consume more calories. It's going to demand more over the course of, let's just say for a week. If you just use the treadmill, there's no barely any extra demand for calories as a baseline. So what happens is you might actually gain weight from using a treadmill is what I'm trying to say. And I hate to say it, but just take a look at the people on the treadmill and it's, it's quite common that they'll be overweight and they might be stuck in this pattern of just going three, four times a week and thinking that it is the solution. But I tend to often try to help people switch to something like progressive overload weightlifting, building muscle, which consumes more calories, which might not make you as hungry for carbohydrates right after the workout and might be a, long, a better longer term goal. So it just might be very frustrating for someone who's, who thinks burning calories because the marketing has, has, tr has tricked people into thinking that jogging and all that is the way to burn. And counting the numbers on a screen is what's going to really do it. Spin classes and all that. It's great. And athletes use it. It's not like cardiovascular activity is no good. Of course it is. It has a place. But it, in my opinion, it should not be everything. If you're someone who wants to uh, lose weight or build some muscle, I don't think you should just simply be running on a treadmill. You should be exploring other options at the gym or even at home with exercise. But also when we looked into our nutrition course, the difference between a non-active person and an active person in terms of calorie intakes was, if I remember correctly, only about 200 calories. So that is a real-life example we experienced because it just means that even if you're active, you don't need that much more calories. Even a high athlete, uh, like, like a really um, high-paying athlete, they only take in about not even double the amount of an average person. I think it was around 3,000 to 4,000. And it's common for people to say oh i went to the gym this morning for an hour so it's okay for me to have dessert and that's a great example of how that that gym depending what you did at the gym that dessert might just have ruined your entire one hour and and then you're basically stuck on the treadmill is a great uh symbol it's it's quite symbolic of what you're doing in my opinion well, also then, since that dessert maybe, or maybe you're in more into salt, salty stuff, that is then your reward. And as we talked about earlier, you might then be stuck consuming more of that. And because you exercise and you're feeling good, you might grab two or three things and think, oh, I burned that off. But just on a little side note, have you ever noticed that people who do really heavy, heavy physical work, are not usually that skinny and we experienced that we were working outdoors we were building a cabin in the woods of Canada and we were working really hard the whole day and we were starving and so we ate a lot and we ended up eating way more than we would actually burn so we were under the assumption at first that we would just burn it off because it was such hard work and that was not the case 
So in the end, we realized that was leading us to gaining a lot of weight. So just as an example, that's not necessarily exercise, but just also hiking. Some people, when they hike and they walk, they feel like they did so much, but they didn't burn that many more calories in the end. It's more uh, of this illusion. Yeah, so I literally have a client who would run all the time and maintain the same weight. Um, not to say that they were majorly overweight or anything, but they they ran a lot, a lot, a lot, and never their their weight stayed the same. And then when we did progressive overload training, overloading the body so it has to adapt and grow and change, he started saying to me after a few months, he said, I'm losing weight and I'm eating the same. I'm kind of scared. Do I have, am I sick? <laughs> and I was like, I was just, it was hard to explain, but I had to say, you know, that is what happens. Your muscles are consuming more calories uh, as a overall, you know, over the course of a few months, it really adds up and then it, it can lead to some, some weight loss without even dietary changes. Um, but that was just an example of years and years of running exact same weight. So if that person's goal was to lose weight and they were heavily obese, that would have been really dangerous for them. They never really would have gotten anywhere. No. Um, would you say if that person was running a little bit more each day, so increasing the amount, would that lead them over the long term to to um, lose body weight? No, I would say that leads them to burnout and injury. Okay. Just because a lot of people are into running and we don't want to say running is very bad, but just so you know, you might not lose weight on that because of everything we just talked about. If you're into running, I would strongly suggest stretching. Um, you could Google hip flexor stretches, you could quad, hamstring, IT band. Uh, IT band, gluteus medius, basically all the muscles around your legs, your calves. Because if you're running with... Um, tight muscles, your pelvis is getting thrust in different directions, forwards and backwards, sideways, and, and likely you have low back pain chronically from the running uh, without proper flexibility. Moving on. <laughs> yes. Okay, next one, low-fat products. Let me go first into this because Rai always has these great scientific explanations and he just puts it better than I do. Might be the accent. Anyway, so low-fat products, in just in a nutshell, I believe that they are processed. So the first thing that we are trying to get people to get off of processed products, so having a product that the body actually can realize what it was in its natural form, I find very important. And in its natural form, if it had more fat, like milk, like dairy products, yogurt, I think the body actually realizes more what it's consuming than if it consumes a low-fat product. The other problem is low-fat doesn't taste that great. So a lot of these low-fat products will have a lot of sugar in them or maybe even stevia. If they're low-fat, low-sugar, then usually a stevia or some other form to make them s s taste better. And then that becomes a really dangerous thing if it's super high in sugar, spikes your insulin, and you might even consume more of it. So that's my two thoughts on this. And now let's go with a bit more scientific, right? Scientific. <laughs> um, not that scientific. Simple math. Okay, so low fat plus low 
price equals high carbohydrate. Low fat plus high price equals high protein. Protein very expensive, carbohydrate very cheap. Fat can be very expensive, but with all these oils they've started to produce from basically waste, um, it's the price is dropping. But if you want real good quality fat, yeah, it's going to be expensive. So what I'm trying to say is low fat, just flip that. Flip that. Uh, what's the other side of that? The back of the product should say high carbohydrate. <laughs> low fat, high carbohydrate. Um, which means um, you're on the roller coaster of blood sugar dysregulation, heading towards metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, which is lifestyle generated, and insulin dependence uh, externally. Basically, um, the companies that sell insulin are multi-billion dollar uh, companies because type 2 diabetes is everywhere, even though it is reversible and lifestyle generated. Type 1 is different. We're not going to talk about that. But all that to say that you could, someone eating products from a store that said low fat, only picking, if you did an experiment, you'd probably generate diabetes within six months because the you are highly um, overloaded with carbohydrates and your pancreas can't release the insulin fast enough to regulate that. Your blood, uh, your blood becomes toxic and your body becomes very ill. So beware of the low fat product. I don't think any company with um, their ethics and morals intact would ever say low fat because they they also would know nutritionally that fat is very important and any proper nutrition course will tell you that fat is essential essential fatty acids are very very important just like uh essential proteins so to say low fat is to say we don't have uh healthy quality ingredients here that satiate you because fat satiates and slows down your hunger which to me, I always just translate it down to the intention, which is we're trying to make the cheapest product and we're trying to get you to buy it um, and trick you. It's just, I don't like it. I think it's trickery. Well, yeah, and you said it. we do need fat in our diet. Not to say it's going to be a ton of fat. It's um, You can actually look that up. I think it depends on if you go for our idea with the metabolic typing it depends which type you are i believe for most people it's at least 20 percent of their intake should be fats good and healthy fats of course fats as rye mentioned earlier are higher in calories so they should not be over consumed but you you need fats you need fats from good sources and fats also translate to energy so don't you don't have to eat every single piece of fat on your meat and then the full fat yogurt and everything full fat but just having some good sources in there is, is very beneficial going back to carb going back to calories before fat has more calories calories is essentially energy potential fat produces more energy than carbohydrates in your body it's harder for your body to produce it and more time consuming but as a baseline your body uses fat to produce energy and carbohydrates are the quicker source of energy and that's why people drink kind of sugar drinks when their uh, athletes drink it so that they quickly get 
that glucose recovery, but more energy quality uh, baseline energy actually comes from fats. And that's why, like I said, nutrition nutritionists should know and advise people of that fact, that you need fat. So leading actually pretty beautifully into our next topic, um, which is split in two. So we're first talking about abs and how to get abs and then getting a six pack through exercise. So we, we get a lot of questions about how to get your flat belly, how to flatten your stomach. Can I do that just through crunches, just through exercise? What do I have to do? And the answer is right. Can you do that? Can you get a six pack with just through exercise? No. <laughs> Unfortunately so, well, not. We well, wish. Okay, use me as an example. Lada, do I have a six pack? Yes, you do. Okay. Do you always see it? No, I don't always see it. But that's the first thing, right? Everybody has a six pack underneath. Underneath for some people a lot of layers But of fat. Would you say that mine is more um Oh yeah, your sticks out. Like you can show the different muscles of your abs on your belly. And then it depends though, because depending what you eat, sometimes your belly is very flat and sometimes the bottom, the lower belly part sticks out a bit more. Right. Because also, where does the food go? That's what I'm trying to say is that, yeah, sure. I have the, what you would call a six pack or an eight pack. And I've actually used, I've actually demonstrated using my body to, to people saying, here's, the rectus abdominis and here's the individual segments and all that but if i eat a little bit too much it magically disappears does it mean that i don't have the abdominal strength no but what it means is there's either i'm consuming fat and i'm gaining weight or i have inflammation and bloating and i've consumed something that's not healthy for me and all of a sudden my lower abdominal protrudes Because inside the thoracic cavity, of course, is your intestines. Your large intestine goes around, and if it's bloated and inflamed and full of gas, you're going to pop right out there forward, and your six-pack might start just becoming a lump. And uh, so people who want a six-pack, you have to have your nutrition on point. You have to know what gets you inflamed, You might have to do intermittent fasting, but you also have to do the training to uh, appropriately also train your obliques on the sides and, and really know how to use your core and train the lower abdominals. Uh, we won't talk about that, but if you have a six pack, you might have a six pack and not have it ever because you train at the gym like crazy and do crunches, but your nutrition doesn't work. So your six pack never appears. Your six pack is a sign to somebody that you train correctly, but also that your nutrition is correct. Also, have you ever seen somebody who the, let's say the midsection, so the start of their six pack is very defined and then the lower part, the lower part of the abs is what protrudes. So that can have those two reasons we just talked about. So on the one hand, it's then the inflammation. You might have also seen very, very skinny Usually, I've seen it a lot in girls, but men get it as well, um, that they're very skinny and then one day you see them and they look almost pregnant. And some people can get bloated so much. It doesn't mean they're all of a sudden overweight, but they ate something 
that made their bellies blow up so much. Sometimes that can be period related or usually it's actually food um, or other lifestyle factors. So that's what can make it really disappear. But then also to the abs, we don't only have the normal crunching part and the, uh, the obliques, but we also have to train the lower abs and not that many exercise parts are targeting the lower abs. And that's why it's going to be very beneficial for you to look at our exercise series because we're going to show you how important they are, how they are the stabilizer of the body and many problems in your body are going to arise because your lower abdominals are not going to be strengthened enough. Especially low back pain. But yeah, your six pack also, like you said, if somebody has the top of their abdominals protruding, that's probably likely what they've done is they're doing a lot of upper abdominal work. Those crunches you see everybody do in the gym, those, yes, they develop the muscles, but guess what? They tighten the abdominals, they pull your rib cage down, and they start contributing to neck pain and back pain and all kinds of other problems. We're not going to dig deep into that. All that to say that a six-pack should look um, anatomically correct, it, not just the top two bigger than the next two and two and two and even the bottom like she said the lower abdominals won't protrude as much but they're super important and right would you say that i have strong abs you have super strong abs and obliques i do but for me not always it doesn't always show because for me to actually have that low weight that they're showing all the time i have that line coming down but i don't have the actual separation of the six pack usually showing I only ever get close to that when I do a lot of intermittent fasting and really limit my food consumption down and then still that last little lower part I would say that last little pouch just on the lower part of the abs that's like the last thing that's ever getting off we have a great um, example of a guy who's super fit he did, he looked amazing in his series he recorded. And then he says the second he eats not like a normal person and is a bit more relaxed, he's gaining a bit more weight. It's not to say he is super overweight all of a sudden, but that crazy popping abs, he's not having them anymore. And so a lot of people you see that advertise their abs, they put a lot of effort in to make them show every day. It's not just about aesthetics too. If they're not popping out and you have inflammation, it's likely you can't recruit them properly because of the inflammation. So you might have issues training because your abdominals don't work the way they should. And the rectus abdominis is complicated. It has multiple sources of innervation, meaning you can activate the top, the middle, or the bottom separately or all together. It's very different than other, other more simple muscles. And if you are training, and even though you think you're doing the work with the abs, you might recruit from any other sources. So you might recruit from your hip flexor, other muscles that are not supposed to recruit, and that becomes dangerous. Also, if you have somebody, look at their back. Because if they have nice abs and their back is not strong, you have a problem. That's exactly what Rai mentioned earlier. It has to be in balance. So somebody, it's the same way if you have somebody who has a super developed upper body and their legs are super skinny. We're supposed to be in balance. So make sure that if you are striving to have a six pack or sh having the, those abs show, that you overall get balanced and you're not just doing it for aesthetics, but because you want to have that as a sign of you being healthy overall. 
Yeah, and we're not going to remake all of um, the videos that Jeff Cavalier has, but I'm just going to mention him because if you go to X on YouTube, I'll put a link in there. He has amazing um, videos about back pain, about developing the abdominals, the obliques, and he breaks it down really well. So I don't even want to reiterate that. It's just if you want some good free beginner content for that, I think Jeff Cavalier does a really great job and has a lot of integrity in trying to relay that to people. Our our courses that we're going to offer are are going to are going to talk about that, but we don't have this public YouTube channel like him with hundreds of videos that he's already made. So I definitely want to suggest you check him out uh, for you know back pain and stuff like that right now. Can we pop his link in the description? Yeah, of course. Awesome. So. Those are just a quick overview on our thoughts on. We hope that you got some insight from those. If you have any comments, please feel free to send us a voice note. Um, you can also give any suggestions of what you would like us to talk about. Um, it could be anything. As you know, we have nutrition mindset and movement. So if you have any other questions. So there's a link in the description to send a voice message. And if you... If you specify you'd like us to actually use it in a future podcast, we would make an episode about our listeners' thoughts on. So if you have thoughts on, for example, the topics we just talked about or something else, feel free to share. Uh, we want to collaborate. We want to build communities. So go for it. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening today. And we hope you have a great day and you tune in soon again. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for being here. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite listening platform. There is more to us than the podcast. Your community awaits you in our free Facebook group. Click the link in the description to join the conversation now. You can also follow and connect to us on social media. Thank you again so, so much for listening. We really appreciate your time and support. With love, Lada and Ryan.